Hi everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Mental Health Pod, where we spoke to Helen Undy from the Money and Mental Health Policy Institution. As Helen explains, there's often an overlooked impact of those with mental health issues struggling with their finances, but also the reverse, where people in debt are more likely to develop mental health issues. With research even suggesting that people with mental health issues are almost three times as likely to have money issues. The Money and Mental Health Policy Institution was set up to break this link between financial difficulty and mental health issues. They achieved this through research, developing practical policy solutions and working in partnership with both those providing services and those using them to find out what really works. Most recently, they were successful in securing a government extension of the Breathing Space Scheme to include people in hospital for their mental health or under the care of a crisis team in their local community. Helen was a really brilliant guest and I'd urge you to look up her and the institution's work on their website. So joining me today is Helen Undy from the Money and Mental Health Policy Institution. Hi Helen, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, So to start with, do you want to give us a background on who you are, what you do and your kind of professional relationship to mental health? Sure, so I'm Head of External Affairs at the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute, uh, or just Money and Mental Health for short because that is a little bit of a mouthful. We are a research charity, so our job is to try and uh, better understand and ultimately tackle the link between financial difficulty and mental health problems. And my job as part of that is really about trying to achieve some impact with our research. So we're a bit like a think tank, but we don't like our research to just sit on shelves and gather dust. And my job is to get it out there in front of the right people and try and make some change happen as a result. Yeah, so that's policy change at a government level or...? So it's partly policy change, um, but we focus quite practically, we're quite pragmatic as a policy institute. So if you think about trying to improve uh, the financial experiences of people with mental health problems, some of that's at a government level, if you're thinking about um, benefits, if you're thinking about the way that debts are collected or kind of regulation of debt collectors, that could be at a government level. But some of it's at a firm level, so it might be about improving the way that banks treat their customers or improving the accessibility of insurance for people with mental health problems, for example. So we work at every level and we also work with the health system as well um, to make sure that people using mental health services are offered debt advice if they need it. So what I was reading some of the statistics earlier, what is the kind of background of money and mental health as in as broad a sense as possible? So... I mean, it's a, it's a pretty vicious cycle between the two things. You are uh, three times as likely to be in financial difficulty if you've got a mental health problem, which is pretty shocking when you think about it. So um, that means not only are you likely to be struggling with your mental health, um, and there are physical health conditions that are associated with that and a whole range of other things that might be going on in your life, but you're three times as likely to be uh, behind on bills and that means you're being contacted by creditors it might mean that your home's at risk it might mean that you're struggling to access basic services like electricity or that you're cutting down on the things that keep you well so it might not sound that dramatic but even if the thing that keeps you well is going to the gym and for a lot of people fitness is really associated with their mental health or seeing your friends if you can't afford to pay for your travel card or you have to give up your gym membership it can have quite a big impact So we're interested in both ends, not just um, the really severe end, but also about everyone's kind of well-being and mental health. And then looking in the other direction, having mental health problems. um, So 
So having mental health problems makes you more likely to be in financial difficulty, but also the financial difficulty can be really devastating for yeah. mental health. Uh, and that's about things like debt collection, activity of debt collectors, as I mentioned, going without things that you are fundamental to your well-being, um, but also just the stress and anxiety of being in debt. Like it's, it's pretty direct and it feels pretty terrible for a lot of people, so that's a pretty severe yeah. impact. So it's a real vicious cycle because people who have ongoing mental health issues are more likely to have financial prob- yeah. problems, and then people with financial problems are also more likely to fall into um, mental health issues. Precisely. Which is, yeah, not And good. the financial problems, um, there's been really clear evidence that they also mean that it takes longer to recover from a mental health problem. So it's not just a vicious cycle, it's also one that kind of um, perpetuates and deepens the further you get into it. So the mental health problems might cause financial difficulty, the financial difficulty means that it's harder to recover from the mental health problems, um, and that's also about limiting access to services as well. So if you've got a really long waiting time to access services and you can't afford to go privately, uh, then your financial circumstances are immediately having a big impact on your mental health and wellbeing. Yeah, so what have been the kind of big big results from, from the uh, institution? I was reading something about the Breathing Space Scheme. Yeah, so that's uh, one of our biggest successes so far, which is a pretty exciting campaign um, for me to be involved in personally. So the Breathing Space Initiative is it's a debt respite scheme that the government's introducing. So it's something that the debt sector have campaigned for for years. So charities like Step Change, Citizens Advice, Money Advice Trust, and the idea behind it is that if you go and get debt advice to help you get out of problem debt, you should get a window of time free from escalating fees, from debt collection activity, so that you can get back on track. Because a lot of the time, the first trigger for real problem debt is something changing or going wrong in your life. So, so like your car, problem with your car yeah, or something like that? Yeah, or it could be your relationship ending okay. or a health condition. Yeah. And while that's going on in your life, it's then pretty hard to get back on track immediately. So the debt respite scheme, breathing space, will give you a bit of time to get back on track while you're getting debt advice. And by the end of that period, you can have a debt, kind of a repayment plan set up if that's appropriate. But we, while we were really delighted that the government were working towards doing this, we were concerned that it wasn't accessible to some of the people who needed it most. Because it's not specifically related to mental health, is it? No. It's just g- general debt. It's just general. So the breathing space scheme uh, is for anyone in problem debt. It doesn't exist yet. Uh, it will do in a couple of years. And, yeah, so it's great. It will have a big impact on people's mental health. But we were worried that, particularly for people in mental health crisis or who've got really acute mental health problems... Asking somebody to go for an appointment with a debt advice charity, go through a, a kind of assessment of your incoming money, outgoings, an appraisal of your debts, fill in kind of some forms before you can get access to the breathing space scheme is just totally unrealistic. And we did a piece of research about the experiences of people in mental health crisis and what happens to their money during that time. I had some really shocking stories people who were hospitalised for three months for their mental health and came out to a court summons on the doorstep. They weren't in debt when they went into hospital, but they missed a council tax payment. The council referred it to debt collectors, and it went straight to a court summons within the three-month period. We've heard of people who, because they were in the care of a crisis team, they were unable to be on top of paying their bills, 
missed various payments and had thousands of pounds in fees and charges, had bailiffs turning up at their house on the same day as the crisis team um, and, and tell the bailiffs that they're in a crisis and it makes no difference. And this is while people are in hospital as well, isn't it? Yeah. When they're at their kind of lowest ebb, they're still being contacted by yeah. creditors. And so it could be either in hospital or in the care of a crisis team in the community. Um, and there's an increasing drive towards giving people crisis support at home, which meant we felt it was really important that this wasn't just limited to people in hospital. Because for some people, the right course of action is to get intense crisis support, but to get it at home rather than in a hospital environment. So we didn't want there to be a kind of perverse driver for people to end up in hospital. So we campaigned um, over the course of several months with the support of a group of MPs, particularly Luciana Berger, um, Johnny Mercer and Norman Lamb, and with our founder as well, Martin Lewis. Uh, and also importantly, with a group of people who have personal experience of mental health crisis. So we always work with people who've got personal experience of whatever issue we're looking at. They're always at the heart of everything we do. Um, and there was a couple of people called Lee and Suzanne who were really at the heart of this campaign and did an amazing job. Uh, we went to Downing Street with them. We got a letter with 10,000 signatures on that we delivered to the Chancellor. And yeah, we won. So it was really great. So um, in April, uh, we got a commitment from John Glenn in Parliament that the Breathing Space Scheme would be extended to cover anyone using NHS mental health crisis services. So that should mean in the future anyone in the care of a crisis team in the community or anyone who's admitted to hospital for their mental health um, should get access to a debt respite scheme. So they won't receive telephone calls, letters, text messages from creditors. There should not be bailiffs visiting them. And they also shouldn't have to worry about escalating fees and charges while they're in the care of a crisis team. And we hope that that will also encourage crisis teams to refer people to debt advice when they discharge them from crisis services, so things get a bit more joined up. Because the crisis teams will know when someone's admitted, they've got a really powerful tool that's gonna to help this person's mental health in the form of the breathing space scheme. But also, they know that this person is likely to be struggling with their finances, so making that referral for death advice is a really powerful thing to help someone stay well and to avoid future readmission. So that's going to be, is that implemented already or coming in in the future? Coming in. Okay. So the government's consulting over the summer on the details of the design of the scheme. Um, so anyone who has an interest should look out for that because they want people's opinions. And they genuinely want to make it work. Um, they, the officials who are designing it really are trying to design something that will cover everyone using mental health crisis services and make sure they are protected. But it is quite complicated. Mm. So there is a possibility that the first iteration of it isn't going to be great. So if you're interested, keep an eye out for it and make sure you respond. Um, so the consultation's over the summer and then there'll be writing regulations to go with the bit of legislation probably late this year, early next year. And they're still actively kind of consulting people who've had difficulties with debt and being in crisis at the same time? Or? Well, we are. Yeah. <laughs> so the government are consulting the way government does their consultations is they'll just put it out. So they'll just publish a consultation to the world and ask people to input. Um, we have a research community um, at the heart of our organisation, which is a group of 5,000 people who have personal experience of mental health problems. Um, we consult them on our work and get them to take part in our research every single week. 
So of those 5,000 people, three weeks of the month, they get an invitation to take part in some research, and on the fourth, they get feedback about the impact they've had over the last month. So we will be going to our research community to ask for their views on how the scheme should work best, and we'll be feeding that back to the Treasury. So anyone listening who has personal experience with mental health problems and wants to feed in, uh, you can sign up at moneyandmentalhealth.org. Um, but also you can just respond directly to the government's consultation as well. Amazing. So that's really brilliant. Another thing I heard, I actually heard Martin Lewis talking about it on the radio, was the Shopper Stopper yes. um, programme. Um could you go into a bit more detail about that and what it is um, and why it's, come, why, it's, why it's kind of needed? I yeah, suppose. of course. Uh, so this is quite a different bit of our work. We, um, so when we first launched, we did a really big survey of 5,000 people with mental health problems and asked them lots of questions about their financial experiences and mapped the common pathways from mental health problems to financial difficulty and vice versa. And looking at how mental health problems made financial difficulty more likely, it was for three reasons. One, people's income goes down. Number two is that spending often goes up. And number three is that ability to manage the difference is reduced. So our ability to budget, to kind of um, switch services, to advocate for ourselves to banks. But the middle one around spending going up was really interesting to me. Mm. I've worked in mental health for quite a few years, and that isn't an issue that I'd heard regularly. Because it's when people are... What, from what I've read, it's mm-hmm. when people are at their worst as well, that yeah. their spending, or some people, that their spending goes up. Yeah, and some of that will be increased costs. So if you can't use public transport because um, it's anxiety, you know, anxiety or, yeah. then taxis are expensive. If yeah. you're struggling to cook and you run takeaways, that's going to be more expensive. But for a lot of people, it's not the additional costs. It's um, a loss of impulse control over spending, it's because you're on a long waiting list for services and nothing's making you feel better and it's perfectly understandable that actually if a new pair of trainers is the only thing that's going to make you feel positive that week, that that's the way that people end up going. Especially when we're being bombarded by marketing messages all the time that tell you that the secret to being happy is going to be to have the next thing or to fit in with everyone else who's wearing this thing this season and you don't want to be the person that doesn't have it. Or that the way you be a great friend or a great mum or a great sister is by buying your friends and family lots of presents. I mean, Christmas can be a really difficult time for a lot of people and that plays into that. So we we don't want to police people's spending behaviour, obviously. That's not for us to do. And But the where it becomes a problem is where people are unable to control their own spending behaviour, where they want to spend less, they know they're getting into a financial mess or that it's affecting their mental health. But sometimes willpower alone isn't enough to control your own behaviour, and we accept that in lots of other areas of our lives. So when you um, put your trainers on the doormat to try and make yourself go for a run because you know that the you that set your alarm half an hour early in the morning, or half an hour early when you went to bed, has not got the same level of willpower as the you at 6.30 when your alarm goes off. So you set your alarm every five minutes and you put your trainers on the doormat and you can have a kind of idea of your future lack of willpower and what that's going to be like. It's just the same. And it's nothing to be ashamed of that you might make a resolution not to shop and then get an email from a company at two in the morning with a yeah. flash sale. And That is the thing, isn't it? Because some of these companies deliberately send emails at awkward times of the day where 
you maybe have been up all night. Yeah. So that's kind of where the shopper stuffer comes from. Thank you for looping me back. <laughs> that's very kind. So um, we found in the research that as well as shopping being a problem more broadly for people when they were struggling, the lack of impulse control is particularly noticeable at night. And that's partly because sleep deprivation reduces that impulse drained, control. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of mental health problems come with insomnia. So if you're awake in the night, likely to be alone, more likely to have had a drink or be using drugs, other things that affect your impulse control. And you might be getting emails at two or three in the morning. Um, and I mean, in my view, there is no good reason for a company to be sending out flash sale emails at three in the morning because the only people who are receiving them are people who are more vulnerable and more likely to spend what they don't want to. Um, so we built the Shopper Stopper with a social enterprise called Plexus, and it's just a browser plugin that lets you set the opening hours of online shops. So it was a tool that we piloted um, because we wanted to make the case to online retailers, internet service providers and card providers that they should be offering greater controls to their customers, that their customers want it and that they work. And we decided we couldn't really demonstrate that unless we just tested it and proved it. So we built the Shopper Stopper. Um, it's a plugin that if you went to a particular website that you've logged in it, in the hours that you've set for the website to be shut, a pop-up covers your screen, you can't get into the website. It's got some messaging that you recorded for yourself about why you don't want to shop. Um, and it also has some suggestions for things you might do instead that you pick yourself. And they were all quite, they, I thought they were quite amusingly British. People mm. picked a lot of things like make a cup of tea, <laughs> do some puzzles, yeah. watch kitten videos <laughs> on the internet, those kinds of things. Um, but it worked. It's completely individual as well isn't it yeah. just different things work for different people yeah so. exactly exactly obviously there was a lot of social media on there as well and but we also had links through for extra support so to the samaritans to national deadline and to mind and we found that they had a very high rate of click-through much higher than we had expected so it showed to us that not only did it work people when they hit that block screen didn't try and get around it because it wasn't foolproof um you could uninstall the browser plugin. Um, you could install a different browser on your computer. So we also wanted to see how many people then tried to get around it. And most people didn't. Yeah. And the fact that people are going on and referring themselves, calling up mine or, the, mm. or Samaritan, it's kind of acting as an impulse to get them to, yeah. to maybe seek the help that they need, yeah. which is a really positive thing. Particularly the debt advice sector often talk about trying to find sort of teachable moments so that you are giving people information, advice and support at the time when they're ready for it rather than so rather than having compulsory uh, compulsory financial education in the workplace as part of your induction that you have to be told about how to manage your money responsibly, it would be far better if it was possible to offer that when one of your colleagues' car breaks down and you can say, oh well actually we've got some information about access to you know, payroll lending or access to other forms of less high cost credit and maybe some information about budgeting. So this proved to be a good a good moment to offer advice. So the trial has finished and the pilot was really successful and we're now working with a range of banks and other card providers um, and hopefully some retailers, although those conversations are at an early stage. So the retailers, how have they been with this kind of stuff? Are they... They've not been as responsive, and I think that's partly that 
banks and card providers, although they are often thought of as the baddie, they do have quite firm regulation. So the Financial Conduct Authority sets the rules for what they can and can't do. And over the last few years, they've been increasingly setting some rules about how they treat customers with mental health problems or customers with other issues in their lives. So it's been quite clear to banks and card providers that this is what they have to do in order to comply with good regulation. There's no one telling the retailers what they should do. And they, you know, it's arguable they don't really have the same role. But... Um, some of them act in an irresponsible way. So I would like to see more change. Yeah, um, and I suppose if they're being called out on it, it's not going to do any good for for their branding and marketing, is it? So Yeah, exactly. And we've seen some changes in response. So um, Barclays have introduced some new card controls on their cards so that you can set some different settings on it. Um, Monzo have announced that they're looking at introducing, um, I think it's second verification on nighttime payments, which is one of the things that we were specifically calling for in this, is that it's not possible for a card provider to block all retail sites, although they could turn off spending at night if they wanted to. But one thing that would be really powerful is just if you try and put through a transaction at 3 in the morning, just at 7 in the morning, an email pops in that says, can you just approve that you definitely wanted to do this? Um, And you can say yes or no. There's a challenge with that, with kind of fast retail. Mm. So certainly with retailers like Amazon, you know, within half an hour of you clicking, that product has probably started moving across the warehouse. Um, But most of the time, it's not going to be an issue unless you're buying something that goes out of stock within the next hour. And if you sign up for it, knowing that that's the risk that you're taking, um, and frankly, the risk of something going out of stock at three in the morning is not as significant to most people who are interested in this as the risk of the financial harm that they're likely to cause by yeah. shopping compulsively in the night. Yeah, and if it's going out, if it's going out of stock, the retailer's probably going to have someone else that wants to buy it anyway, so they're probably yeah, not going to lose out. Um, so, what are the kind of big goals coming up for the institute, and what are you working on at the minute? So, the big thing that we're working on at the moment that I'm really excited about is some research we're launching in July about accessibility and mental health. So the third one of those steps that I mentioned, so number one being income going down, number two being spending going up, number three is about a reduced ability to manage the difference between your income and your outgoings and to access essential services, basically. And we found that um, people with mental health problems generally have poorer access to services like banking, energy companies, um, telecoms, because they're more likely to struggle with using the telephone, more likely to... Uh, find that the post goes unopened for long periods of time uh, in acute periods of poor mental health things like complicated web forms can be too much to handle and we've heard from a lot of people who are finding themselves either going without an essential service or paying more than they should be because of difficulties accessing them and that's not because they don't have the capacity to make those decisions it's just an access need and in the same way that for somebody with a visual impairment you would get your bank sending out letters in Braille or providing talking ATMs. We think it's really important that firms understand the access needs of someone with a mental health problem and take them just as seriously. So in July, we're launching a piece of research that sets out what those access needs are likely to be. And then over the summer and into the autumn, we're working with firms to develop the first set of accessibility standards for mental health, which will make it really clear what a firm needs to do to meet a basic level of accessibility. And it's things like not having phone-only functions that are really essential to managing your account. 
if the only way that you can report um, a problem with a payment or you know, suspected fraud or any of those issues, or the only way that you can get a PAC code to switch your mobile phone contract is by making a phone call, sitting on hold, navigating a call centre, then your service isn't accessible. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So what would, just to finish off, what yeah. would be your your kind of top tip for for looking after your mental health and specifically looking after your mental health from the perspective of, from, from a financial perspective, I suppose? I suppose from the Policy Institute's point of view, the main thing we'd say is that you're not on your own, which isn't a tip per se, but that this isn't an issue that's been talked about very much until quite recently. And, you know, we've got 5,000 people to sign up very quickly to tell us about their mental health and their financial experiences. And one of the things we hear surprisingly often is that until people have taken part in this research, they thought it was just them. They thought that they were just bad with money, that they were irresponsible at controlling their spending, they, were, they felt judged or they felt stupid. And that's not the case. Having a mental health problem makes it harder to earn money, it makes it harder to manage money, it makes it harder to control your spending. So the main thing I'd say is that it's, uh, it's not about blame or judgement, and if it's you or if it's a friend, like, that compassion is really important. Um, but also that there's help out there. If you're in financial difficulty, the debt advice sector is fantastic. Most people, so I think it's about half of people, wait a year or more before accessing debt advice after getting into problem debt. And in that time, things are just getting worse. Yeah. And there's really no need for that. Debt advice is free um, and it's available. So citizens' advice, national debt line, step change, make the most of them because they're pretty valuable. Yeah, just to finish off, where can we find out more about what the institution's doing, the work it's doing, the research and stuff. Yeah, the best place is moneyandmentalhealth.org. That's our website. If you want to join our research community, just add forward slash community uh, or just click on the big button on the homepage and you should be able to find your way through there. Perfect. Thank you very much, Helen. Thank you very much. Hi, guys. Just a quick reminder that We aren't trained psychologists or psychiatrists or therapists and if you're having your own problems don't hesitate to go and see a GP or use the services of charities like Mind or Calm or anything like that. Cheers.